sweeping new health orders. And I'm putting new province-wide orders in place. The new restrictions on where we can go and what we can do. Infection experts push back against the Premier. When you start looking at schools, you do expect that there will be some transmission. What some say is missing from the school safety protocol. And stalled plans for Strathcona Park. Another political promise left undelivered. An exclusive look at a makeshift shelter as occupants wait for housing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have breaking news in the battle against COVID-19 in BC. Today, health officials announced a number of new restrictions aimed at reversing days of record numbers. First, though, let's take a look at today's cases. And there is some good news. There has been a drop. We have 538 new cases, bringing BC's total to 24,960. Sadly, one more person has passed away, which means 321 people have now died from complications of the virus. 217 people are in hospital, 59 in the ICU. 17,207 people are now considered recovered. And we are left with 6,929 active cases and 9,977 people in self-isolation. Okay, now to the new measures everyone in B.C. was anticipating today. The province's top doctor announcing expanded restrictions across B.C. to try to stem the alarming number of new cases of COVID-19. And among the orders, a protocol that Dr. Bonnie Henry is finally mandating after much outcry. Mandatory masks must be worn at indoor public spaces. Richard Zussman reports. It's about to be the law, from grocery stores to shopping malls. Starting Monday, British Columbians must wear a non-medical mask in all indoor public spaces. To ensure that uh, owners and operators of these spaces have um, the, uh, the support behind them to ensure that customers are aware of this mandate. Just one of the sweeping list of new measures put in place by Dr. Bonnie Henry on Thursday. A ban on social gatherings will be extended in Metro Vancouver until December 7th. And it's now in place province-wide, meaning all British Columbians are now restricted from social events at homes outside of their own. And although it's not the law, people are being asked to stop non-essential travel. When we had these same um, requirements in place earlier this year, that people took them to heart. To ensure the measures stick, the province is increasing enforcement mainly at businesses, and there are situations where people can be inside your home. We um, have people who are doing work in our house, um, people who are, our grandparents are coming to pick up children. Those are not social gatherings. Those are essential. The province banning services at churches, temples and other faith-based buildings. The goal of the strict measures is to cut down on spreading the virus and to keep hospitals, businesses and schools open. It's important for us to keep schools open. We know that schools are an important, safe place for children around this province. Making masks mandatory in indoor public space is a big shift for Dr. Bonnie Henry. They will be required in common areas at your workplace, but where they will not be required is in school classrooms. Schools are not public, open spaces. You cannot go walk into a school. And the province will be watching bars and pubs closely. And if there are challenges there, they will be closed down. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry to talk more about enforcement. First, for businesses. And Keith, what are the consequences for following the updated measures or not following the updated measures? Yeah, it was interesting how many times today Dr. Bonnie Henry stressed the fact there's going to be heightened enforcement, heightened inspections, and that there will be more aggressive penalties doled out to those who are found to uh, in breaking the rules. And that includes potential shutting down businesses, probably much more so than we've seen in the past. Here's Dr. Henry. We will be uh, paying particular effort to inspecting COVID safety plans to making sure that they are being adhered to in these settings. And if we have challenges, if we find that they are not being adhered to, these businesses will be closed down. Well, we'll see uh, if they follow through on that. Now, there has been a lot of concern, Keith, over restrictions affecting youth sports. Games are being allowed again, but uh, with some conditions. Yes, uh, the rules keep changing here, but the goal is to get kids active, physically active, uh, outdoors as much as possible. But that's for the kids playing, not for the parents watching. There's new rules go governing that. Here's Dr. Henry. There are to be no spectators at indoor or outdoor sports, and there will be no travel for any of these sports outside of your local community. So that is the restrictions that we need to have in place now across the province to ensure that we can have these important sport activities um, continue, but in a safe way. So again, these measures are now in place until December 7th, but I say at least until December 7th, because it could very well be extended again. Today's case number, as you mentioned, so down from yesterday, that's good news. If it's a one-day aberration and we continue to go up, this order may be in place for quite some time. Well, let's hope it stays low. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Of course, the requirement to wear a mask now in all indoor public spaces comes as a relief to many business owners who have tried to implement the rule and received pushback from their customers. Paul Johnson is live in Vancouver for us tonight with more on this. And Paul, you followed up with one restaurant owner who's quite happy with this decision. Yeah, he is. This is very welcome news down here at Nook. This is a popular thin crust pizza place in the Olympic Village area of Vancouver. And for months prior to this, the owner down here, Mike Jeffs, had actually been going beyond the letter of the previous rules and he'd been enforcing his own mask rule inside his restaurant. And he said it cost him. He said at night wouldn't go by when he wouldn't turn away at least a couple of people who would come down they would be angry that they were told they had to wear a mask to eat here some of them would say things like they felt their constitutional rights were being violated and the owner would say well i'm standing by this and his reason is is being in the hospitality sector he knows acutely how difficult and how much struggle it is for a lot of restaurants to stay afloat right now and he believes the way forward is collective action it involves mask wearing and that's why he support this here's what he had to say i think it's the right thing to do and I, i'm glad they've done it I, hopefully we'll make it easier for us at the front door you know it's not very many people you know it's one or two people a night and they come and they just fight with whoever's standing here trying to serve them well, we don't need that nobody wants to see it so hopefully people will understand that you know we're just doing doing what we're supposed to do trying to keep our businesses afloat So there you have the other side of this. That is video from one of the recent anti-mask demonstrations that have happened in Vancouver. And 
the people that you see there, they were all very worried that something like today's announcement was going to come. They're very opposed to it. Now, I should mention is one of the members of the media here who's covered these events, and I think I could say this for all of the media, we've always been challenged by these people who said, we're not reporting the other side to this, the scientists and the experts who are opposed to mask wearing. And I have to say, uh, we've tried to find these people and we've had a standing offer from the anti-mask crowd provide us with an expert who's willing to challenge what Dr. Bonnie Henry and the government are saying about masks, and we haven't found one. Chris? What a surprise. Thanks, Paul. Well, it was first rolled out for kids, and now adults on the South Coast can get a less invasive COVID test. The BCCDC says adults can now take that saline gargle test at testing centers on the Lower Mainland and on Vancouver Island. Anyone taking the test will put saline water into their mouths, swish it around for about five seconds, and then spit it into a container. The gargle test was first introduced for children back in September. Researchers are weighing in on recent claims from the B.C. Premier when it comes to kids and COVID-19 transmissions. The Premier, in defense of schools remaining open, said that children generally do not transmit the virus. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, experts have something to say about that. While classrooms in B.C. remain open, six students and teachers along with staff shortages have contributed to a small fraction of schools forced to close their doors. Facebook groups continue to track every potential case, but the government is determined to steer this course for the remainder of the school year. Outbreaks, but it On Wednesday, the Premier continuing to say exposures in classrooms remain low and the risk is manageable. The evidence is fairly clear that children are not transmitters of COVID. Scientists say the evidence is far from conclusive on that point. Very little is known about how kids interact with the virus or how efficiently they can spread it. We know children do play a role in transmitting the disease. Children can get it. Luckily, they don't get ill that frequently. That's great news. But we should not underappreciate that they probably play a role too in this entire game. In BC, the numbers point to an increase in cases similar to the population as a whole. At the beginning of the school year, kids under 10 made up 178 of the total number of COVID cases. The 10 to 19 age group had 354. Two and a half months later, those numbers have climbed sharply. 962 cases under 10 and more than 2,000 under 19. BC health officials say this is primarily because kids are getting tested more. BC data matches what's happening in the rest of the world. Cases in schools tend to come from the outside community. When you start looking at schools, you do expect that there will be some transmission. But it's going to be very low in comparison to the transmission we're seeing pretty much everywhere else. While teachers are questioning why masks weren't made mandatory inside classrooms in this latest order, health officials saying the transmission still isn't high enough to warrant any changes. Managing infections outside school, the priority. The bet is that will reduce the risks inside schools. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
An outbreak has been declared after 14 workers tested positive at the LNG Canada project site in Kitimat. According to Northern Health, all 14 cases are associated with a single work location. Contact tracing is underway and 32 employees are self-isolating on site with more isolating in their home communities. More now on the ban on in-person gatherings and how it's affecting places of worship. Religious leaders are once again having to close their doors, but they fear it comes at the cost of people's spiritual well-being. John Waugh has that part of the story. Congregations like this are often the spiritual center of a community. In the hard time, they need the prayer, they need actually the religious things. Services offered by the Surrey Gurdwara, just the latest social gatherings to be shut down by COVID-19. We need our faith services more than ever right now, but we need to do them in a way that's safe. But religious teachings are only part of the outreach. Here, a community kitchen serves upwards of 600 free meals a day. If temple is closed, so where we can prepare the food for the needy pupils, where they can go for the food. People will still be able to come together to prepare the food, but for those in need of a hot meal, it will have to be takeout. They need to be individually packaged. What we aren't having is people coming in and sitting together and having those meals. Religious ceremonies like funerals, weddings and baptisms are still permitted, but with limits. With a maximum of 10 people, including the officiant. So God, we come to you right now. Would you come and speak to us? Caribou Road Christian Fellowship does offer online worship but worries some of its congregation could fall through the cracks. When you're only online, you don't know how people are doing. You don't know how they're receiving what you're talking about or what the programs you're offering. You don't know where they're at. Like before, the church says it will follow the provincial orders. But our confidence is in you, God. Forced to find new ways to strengthen people's faith. We need hope from somewhere, from someone. And so I, I really hope that doesn't get lost in this. At a time when these places of worship are likely needed the most, curbing this pandemic might now come at a spiritual cost. John Hua, Global News. Well, the new health orders also have an impact on BC's ski hills. Travel restrictions are going to keep more people at home. So how long can they hold out? That's next on the News Hour. It was a world record road trip. Two Canadians who circled the globe 40 years ago reflect on the adventure that was way more than they bargained for. Later. And a rare sighting of the common potsherd. Why this duck has people flocking to a Vancouver Island park later. Right now, though, Dr. Bonnie Henry is urging that there be no non-essential travel within B.C. And that could hit many of the province's ski resorts at the worst possible time. As Ted Chernecki reports, depending on how long the recommendation lasts, it could either be a temporary inconvenience or a devastating blow. Explore with care. It wasn't so long ago that residents were encouraged to explore beautiful British Columbia. Staycations helped the decimated tourist economy. Without a formal travel ban, the message today is muddy. Yes, technically you can travel where you want, but shouldn't. Not until at least December 7th, when the pandemic can be reassessed. If someone has booked a vacation to uh, maybe go to Whistler next week, are you asking them to cancel it? I'm asking them to consider whether they need to go, um, whether this is the time that they uh, can go. 
A map of our regional health districts suggests residents from Vancouver Coastal and Fraser Health should be able to go to Grouse, Seymour or Cyprus, but they're encouraged not to. If they do go, they can expect different protocols at each location. Things are different this year, and the and ski areas have only been able to open because they have made adjustments. So for our guests, know before you go, look to the protocols, and this will be anything from purchasing tickets to where you can park to what services may be available. Critical to know before you go. Okanagan tourist destinations were hoping for at least some help from all those snowbirds who can't travel south this winter. We're hoping for people to visit from throughout Canada uh, and be a tourist in our own country. However, with a travel ban, obviously that won't be the case. Assuming that most people won't travel to ski destinations, and that's a big assumption, the industry says it will have an impact. That will have some impact, but less of an impact than if restrictions are imposed, let's say, during the Christmas week. So up on Grouse Mountain, preparations continue for the Christmas season, hoping that new COVID cases have eased by then and there won't be a need for even more restrictions. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Up ahead, Strathcona Park homeless stuck in limbo. The mayor keeps on pushing back the horizon, the due date. Why all residents with homes and without say this has gone on too long. And Penticton approves a new lake-to-lake cycling route, but not everyone is going along for the ride. Good evening. We're glad you're home already watching this and not stuck here on the Alex Fraser Bridge like these poor people. Just now cleared a uh, crash that was southbound at the south end, and now we've got a brand new crash northbound at the south end in the left lane. The damage is done for southbound traffic, unfortunately, despite all lanes once again being open. Nope. Now there's another crash right here southbound at midspan in the far right lane. My goodness, the Alex Fraser Bridge just can't catch a break. Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. It's been more than a month since Vancouver City Council voted to spend up to $30 million on an emergency plan to get people out of tent cities and into temporary homes. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, residents of the Vancouver neighborhood who are dealing with the largest encampment say they have seen little to no progress. This is life inside Strathcona Park. A communal tent heated by a wood-burning stove. What's in here? Well, back there is like a really messy kitchen. Uh, this is just the community warming building. Joseph Collier tells us he's here to help with security in a camp now split into factions. The resources are they're just not going to the right places and it's being all contained, lock and key. There's a new sacred fire. The people maintaining it tell us off camera that so-called camp leader Chrissy Brett doesn't speak for them. 42 days after Vancouver Council passed a $30 million homeless action plan, Strathcona Park looks the same, if not worse. So there have been changes. I know it's not fast enough for that neighborhood, but we, you know, we, we are doing everything we can and, and it is moving. Uh, you know, it is moving. Here we are 42 days later and there's no sign of any pandemic shelters that they they promised us. Those shelters were supposed to open quickly at the 2400 Motel on Kingsway and the Jericho Hostel. The latter is now facing opposition from some neighbours in Point Grey. 
I'm very hopeful that we will have some people moved indoors before Christmas. There's just no action that we can see. And, um, you know, winter is here. It's cold, it's wet, and people are in need of, of supported shelters that they're not, they're not receiving. As the temperature drops, the fire danger climbs. We had one propane tank explode a few weeks ago. We know that you know campers are doing what they have to do to stay warm and dry, and that means heating their tents in certain ways that are unsafe. McLaren, a lawyer by trade, says he's filed a freedom of information request with the city to try and figure out what's taking so long. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Sorry, RCMP are issuing another warning about toxic drugs being sold on the street after three overdose deaths in just 12 hours. Police say none of the deaths appear to be connected. They're cautioning anyone who consumes non-prescription drugs from unregulated suppliers, they may be at risk of an overdose. RCMP say people should not use alone, they should be careful how much they take and always have a Narcan kit handy. The early indications and based on the observations of our officers, they do believe that drug use was a factor. Um, just out of an abundance of caution based on um, these three fatalities in such a short time, we do want to urge the public to be extra cautious if they are using drugs at this time. The warning comes after five adults overdosed in the Fraser Heights neighborhood in Surrey last month. They were all revived after receiving four doses of Narcan. Well, the city of Penticton is renowned for hosting world-class outdoor sporting events like Ironman. But local cyclists say the city's own cycling infrastructure has been neglected. That could soon change thanks to a multi-million dollar initiative. Global Shelby Tom has more on the plan and the controversy. This is our patio here. The South Okanagan's only urban winery hit hard by the pandemic says it's another blow. The timing just isn't great. Penticton City Council approving a six-kilometer lake-to-lake bike route. The north end of the portion will cut through the city's entertainment and hospitality district along Martin Street. The plan includes a two-way cycle track to replace 90 parking stalls along the west side, and Time Winery could lose its money-making patio. And so it would be detrimental to our business. That's exactly where the bike lane would go. This cannabis dispensary owner fears a loss of parking will threaten the viability of her business. So I just don't want to lose business to competitors that have free ample parking. This is where the uh, bike lane... The group representing downtown merchants has 600 people signed a petition against the proposed downtown route. This isn't the right time. This isn't the right place. Retailers question why the city isn't putting the brakes on the project during a global pandemic and economic crisis. To hear that this is happening now is very disturbing to a lot of our members. I can understand how people feel. But when is the right time? The city's mayor says work began in 2019 and the $8 million bike route will act as a spine in the city's cycling network. We want to get more people on their bikes to cycle all over the community. We were elated. Cycling enthusiasts say it's time the city switched gears to prioritize investment in active transportation. Cycling is an inclusive transportation option. People can do it from right when they're small children to, you know, older adults. Staff will begin work on the detailed design. Now that the project has the green light, there's no timeline on construction. Shelby Tom, Global News.
Birders are flocking to a Victoria Park to catch a glimpse of a rare lone duck never before seen in B.C. It's called a common potsherd, a large duck with a red head, silver back and black bill with blue markings. It's native to Europe and Asia and usually migrates south for the winter. It's believed this one likely flew off course, landing here instead. Since it was first spotted on Saturday, hundreds of people have stopped by to catch a glimpse, confident they are seeing history in the making. This is the first time for British Columbia. The second time for Canada, but the other one was not accepted by the Records Committee. So if this one is, then this could be the first record for, of this species for Canada, which is pretty exciting. Very cool. Up ahead, a devastating report into the toxic culture at the RCMP, the harassment many members have endured, and what it says about the limited options to fix it. Also coming up, the bizarre reason a Vancouver Canucks player is stuck at the border. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Big delays over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Here's crash number one. It's northbound at midspan in the left and middle lane. And crash number two is over here southbound at midspan in the far right lane. Traffic is busy in both directions. Best to head over to the Massey Tunnel. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. A damning report on the toxic culture in the RCMP is highlighting widespread accounts of sexual abuse and harassment. More than 23,000 women received compensation as part of a gender harassment and discrimination settlement. But as Global's Emanuela Campanella reports, there are still calls for real systemic change and a warning that some of the details may be disturbing to some viewers. Thousands of women recounted their trauma of sexual abuse and gender-based discrimination to an independent assessor, as revealed in an explosive report looking into the RCMP. If uh, an organization cannot keep its own members safe from harassment and discrimination, um, how can Canadians have confidence in them to keep them safe as they enforce the law? The report comes four years after the Merlot-Davidson settlement. Named after Janet Merlot and Linda Davidson, who filed separate class action lawsuits, the settlement covers those who were harassed while working for the RCMP since 1974. Former Supreme Court Justice Michel Bastarache was appointed to independently assess those claims, and in his report writes, The level of violence and sexual assault that was reported was shocking. Over 130 claimants disclosed penetrative sexual assaults. It must be stopped. It will not be tolerated. There is absolutely no room for sexual assault, harassment, discrimination, bullying, sexism, racism, homophobia or transphobia in the RCMP. The RCMP says a new independent centre for harassment will open in summer 2021. As part of the settlement, claimants will receive more than $100 million. But as the report states, money is not enough. The one big thing that we have been crying and begging for for years is outside intervention to clean this mess up. And nobody's listened. Sadness 
sadness that so many um, people had to go through so much and suffer so much and struggle to be heard. Berlin Jerry says the report describes deep-rooted systemic issues within the RCMP. It's not just about a few bad apples. The report makes dozens of recommendations on things like systemic barriers, recruitment and training, and says fundamental change cannot happen from within, calling on the federal government to take action. Emanuela Campanella, Global News. In health matters tonight, as the second wave of the pandemic sweeps across the province, an organization representing care providers is calling for urgent improvements to B.C.'s COVID-19 response plan. In an independent report, the B.C. Care Providers Association highlights a number of measures that could improve the safety of vulnerable seniors in long-term care and assisted living residences. Key recommendations include rapid testing at care homes, better guidelines for essential visitors, as well as increased funding. Coming up, the anniversary of a world record road trip. It was hard, but it was the most fun anyone could ever have in their life. Two Canadians clueless about what their adventure was really going to entail. And coming up in sports, 2020 has been a stellar year for Canadian tennis sensation Vashik Pospisil. Why he expects even more in 2021. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The Canucks' new goalie is stuck at the U.S. border, and it's not because of COVID-19. We'll tell you why his move has slowed to a crawl right after Christie's forecast. I see what you did there. <laughs> Quick like a bunny or maybe a hare, we'll throw it over to Christy for a look at the forecast. And happy to see some sunshine this morning. A little bit of sunshine, yes, you're exactly right. Uh, if, for those of you that aren't sure, I'm in front of St. Paul's Hospital. We're getting ready to light up the lights, the lights of hope, which we're so excited to do in just a couple minutes. And I'm going to be talking to the uh, president and CEO of the foundation to talk a little bit about why it's so important. But first, let's talk about that weather. Uh, I want to show you this great shot from Brad Atchison. The photo on the right is today. The photo on the left was two years ago when we had an El Nino year. So skiers and snowboarders rejoiced. Yes, La Nina year is hard, but I'll tell you, it is a little tough for those of us down below. Yes, that chance of rain is going to stay high through the day tomorrow. It's not until Saturday that things are going to drop down, but that's good news. It lands on a weekend. Here's a look at the uh, conditions for tomorrow. Majority of the showers are going to be along the mountain regions. Nice little break for those of you in the interior. It does mean snow for the mountain passes, by the way, and there's your Saturday, so not bad conditions, but Sunday is going to be wet as that front shifts down into our region. So there's your Friday forecast, everyone, and across the south, nice breaks of blue sky. So for our region, showers on and off. We are going to see a mostly dry Saturday. Sunday, though, is when we're expecting periods of rain. And I will leave you with your central windows weather window, which is a gorgeous shot of, yes, the blue sky that Chris was talking about earlier. That's thanks to, I think, Paul Cook for that one. All right, I'd like to introduce you to... Uh, Dick Vallee, he is the president and CEO of the uh, St. Paul's Hospital Foundation. And Dick, um, 145,000 patients have come through the door here. Uh, 1,500 babies have been um, born here. It's a really part of the community. Why is this so important, especially this year? Well, it's really important this year, Christy, for the entire province. And mainly mm -hmm. because Lights of Hope supports the frontline workers, which we're all 
super inspired by for the seven o'clock tier, which we've now got lights of hope. Right, we can light those up and have everyone enjoy it as they're going by. Now, what's a bit different about this year? Normally we have lots of people here with us. Yeah, normally we have 2,000 people here, but tonight we're virtual. So we're mm -hmm. calling it Hope From Home. And we're asking everyone to go to lightsofhope.com and purchase their star in support of the frontline workers and helping St. Paul's. Purchase a star is actually um, a really neat thing. I did it uh, earlier and it's this beautiful ornament that you can take home for $49. And it's a great way to be able to support St. Paul's Hospital. And that's lightsofhope.com. What's your fundraising goal for this year? Well, this year the fundraising goal is $3.5 million. And as you know, we've raised over $40 million over the last 22 years. So we're very optimistic we're going to reach that goal this year. Oh, that's great. So we're not too far away from the countdown. Uh, I just want to mention once again, it's lightsofhope.com. That's where you can live stream and see the lights themselves. And we also urge you to go there to donate. So I think we're ready for the countdown now. Can you help me from five? Sure. We're going to do virtual fireworks this year too. So five, four, three, two, one. everyone so nice to see the the uh, stars displayed it's a unofficial kickoff to the holiday season each one of those stars represents a donor who is given generously to the frontline workers here at st paul's hospital and the providence Healthcare system so thank you to all the donors and if you would like to donate go to lightsofhope.com i urge you to do that because right now they need your help more this year more than ever back to you chris so all right, Christy. Yeah, thanks very much. Obviously, a big shout out to all of our healthcare heroes. And that's such a good way to get into the holiday spirit. Yes, we need the bright spot this year for sure. sure. Well, we know that many people have been separated by the border closure, but for the new Canucks goalie, his reason for being denied entry is cold blooded. That's right. Braden Holtby's wife posted this plea to Twitter asking for help getting their pet tortoises across the border because it's also holding up her husband. The family is making the move to Vancouver where Holtby is set to become or to begin his first season with the Canucks. They were missing a key permit and officials barred their entry along with the tortoises. And late this afternoon, Brandy tweeted the good news that officials are now working towards a solution to get the boys home. And Brandy writes, she'll let us all know when they are safely arrived in Canada, sipping a double-double and sharing Timbits. They've got this Canadian thing figured right out. So, what do you think uh, his nickname is going to end up being here, Squire? 
I think one of the tortoises' name is Honey. Oh. When he was in Washington, people knew about this. He's actually a very good guitar player. I actually heard, though, uh-huh. that Braden Holtby was painfully shy until he got the tortoise, then he came out of his shell. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and he comes with his very own. Yes. Where's Ba-dum-bum. the drumsticks? Yeah, okay. <laughs> what do you got uh, coming up? I'm going to tell you what I got coming up. Not just bad jokes. Uh, Vashek Pospisil moved up in the world rankings again, this time to 61st in the world. I'm playing some of the best tennis of my career right now, honestly. Well, a lot of that is because his back is in shape, and that has allowed him time to work on other parts of his game, and it's paying off. Also coming up tonight, two Canadians who put the pedal to the metal for a round-the-world road trip. The record they set 40 years ago. Well, before the NHL can get to playing, they got to do some talking. Here's Squire Barnes with the latest. I, I just think, you know, Christmas, the, the lights of hope, and the, the turtle story reminds you of turtles. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, yeah. that's right. Those chocolates. Uh, the <laughs> NHL uh, wants to start a new season on January 1st, but they can't unless the two guys beside me, Gary Bettman and union boss Donald Fear, work things out. And right now, according to The Athletic, the NHL is asking players to defer more of their salary for the coming season than they agreed upon in the summer. The NHL apparently wants around 25% of the players' salaries to be deferred, but the players agreed in the summer to only 10% deferral. They may end up somewhere between those two numbers, 10 and I think it's actually 26. One thing for sure, without fans, NHL teams will not make a profit or even break even this coming season. Now, they didn't have a season, of course, the CFL, but today they did announce an all-decade team encompassing the 2010s, a first and second team. Current Lion receiver Brian Burnham made the second team with three other Lions. Uh, Six players who started their careers with BC were also on the first team, including two of the best defensive players the BC Lions have ever had. Get punished. 100 all day. Watch out, baby. 44, 56, 100. We start with the two-man wrecking crew of Adam Big Hill and Solomon Elamimium. Solly was one of the best linebackers, not just in Lions history, but in CFL history. Another is defensive back Ryan Phillips. He's second all-time in interceptions by a BC Lion. Jovan Oliafoye may have been the best offensive lineman the Lions have ever had. Six-time CFL All-Star who never missed a game in eight seasons with BC. And then there's receiver Emmanuel Arsenault, the go-to guy for many Lions quarterbacks. 55 touchdowns in BC. And finally running back Andrew Harris, who's better known as a Blue Bomber, but he started in BC and helped the Lions win the 2011 Grey Cup. A couple of future Hall of Famers meeting in Seattle. Russell Wilson, Larry Fitzgerald. It's Seahawks, it's Cardinals, it's Thursday Night Football. It's Russell Wilson looking for help. It comes from the Kalen Zacharias Metcalf. That's his full name. That's why DK to Kalen. And you see how he gets away from the guy, helps out Russell Wilson, gets open 7-0 Seahawks. It was tied 7-7 and then... The not as tall but equally as talented receiver, Tyler Lockett. They missed the, uh, actually that's not a final, it's not even half time yet. Second quarter, Seattle leading 13-7. Well, usually it's Denis Shapovalov or uh, Milos Ronic or Felix Auger-Ol-Aliassin that gets all the headlines for Canadian men's tennis. But BC's Vashik Pospisil has been the best story of all. He's moved to 61st overall in the world rankings after starting 2020 ranked 
148. Oh, that's brilliant. Vaishak Pospisil is one of the few people on the planet who wishes he could keep 2020 going a little while longer. Pospisil admits he's playing the best tennis of his career right now, narrowly missing his first ATP singles title on the weekend in Bulgaria. Hopefully, 2021 brings that first win, especially if he keeps playing at such a high level. As I get older and I feel like I know my, myself, my game, uh, my body, I'm, I'm more calm on the court for sure, big time. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm really able to to think very clearly out there tactically and, and, and I'm, so I'm executing, I think, overall, right? It's been nearly two years since Pospisil underwent back surgery that took six months of recovery, but has absolutely rejuvenated his game. He's pain-free, in great shape, and thankful he's back in top form. But maybe it's his mental outlook that's been the real game-changer. Now 30, he's learned to let go of the losses. So it's nice to have that balance where, you know, deep down, obviously you care a lot and you're training really hard and you have a goal in sight, but then also you have this level of detachment where it can really help you stay relaxed and, and perform at your best, which I think is, is what the case is with me right now. Another reason for the success has been mushroom supplements that Pospisil has been taking to help with recovery and endurance. So much so, he started his own functional mushroom company called Hakate. It's already for sale online, and he hopes to have the product in stores in B.C. in the new year. But his success using them hasn't gone unnoticed on tour. You know, the players have been bringing it up, and, and like, oh, you got to give me those, you got to give me those mushrooms that you're taking. And a lot of people have been, been talking to me about it and asking asking about it and it's cool because I think everyone's pretty pretty intrigued and I've, I've had a ton of players that that uh, I have on on um, kind of a list of you know that I need to send send some product to uh, in, in 2021. Right now, Vashik is taking some well-deserved time off. The tennis season resumes in Australia in January, where he looks to keep the momentum going and climb even higher in the rankings. You know, I'm hoping that, that I can get back into the top 30 and and then eventually, you know, I'd love to crack the top 20. So that's still obviously in the back of my mind. But the big goal is just to, to keep improving, and which, which uh, fortunately, I've, I've, you know, I feel like I'm playing better every month. <laughs> the seed has Those mushrooms are magic, but not in that way. <laughs> okay, we got it. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11. Thanks, Chris. And some breaking news and a major step in Surrey's controversial move to switch from the RCMP to a municipal police force. The Surrey Police Board has hired Norm Lipinski to be the first chief of the city's new police force. He's currently the deputy chief of the Delta Police Department. Plus, we'll have more on the new measures announced today to address the rising COVID numbers in our province and how they could impact you. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris Sophie. Thank you very much, Ann. Up next, an epic road trip that also happened to be a record breaker for a couple of buddies. Stay with us. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC Energy at Work. Forty years ago, a pair of Maritimers drove around the world in record time. November 19th, 1980, they pulled back into Toronto and were hailed as national heroes. Global's Camille Karamali looks back at their trip of a lifetime. To set a new record for driving around the world. 
This global newscast from November 19, 1980, exactly 40 years ago, is one Gary Sowerby will never forget. You see, that's him and his friend Ken Langley returning to Toronto from a trip around the globe after beating a world record. It was hard, but it was the most fun anyone could ever have in their life. I can't believe in some ways it's 40 years ago. It all started when the two were university buddies and had a simple question. What's the ultimate road trip? The answer, apparently trying to break the Guinness World Record for driving around the world, but it would cost a lot of money. We were going to have to get some financial support, sponsors, and so that's what we did. And that's when the journey began. Four decades ago, right here outside the CN Tower, two pals, Gary Sawyerby and Ken Langley, set off on an adventure to break a Guinness World Record. I remember we pulled away from the CN Tower, and I looked at Ken and I said, Ken, now we got to do this. And do it, they did, heading west across Canada, south to Los Angeles, and then flying to Australia. So Australia was sort of the shakedown for the car and for us. But it was about to get tougher. They loaded the car onto a plane into India, then Pakistan, but the biggest hurdle was yet to come. The 1980 version of the Iran-Iraq war broke out. There was no way they were going to be allowed to drive through, so it came down to a scramble. Trying to get a plane to land special for us get us the hell out of there. <laughs> when all hope seemed lost, they found a cargo plane to fly them to Athens and then Yugoslavia. So that was a fairly tense time. They then zigzagged through Europe and from London, a flight to Houston. But by then, fatigue had kicked in. That foot had been on that throttle for 65 days. One of the rules to beat the record is that only one driver can be behind the wheel the entire trip, and Sowerby's leg was giving up on him. For a while, I thought I wouldn't be able to finish the trip. But he powered through from Houston to New Brunswick and finally back home to the CN Tower, beating the record by about a month at 74 days. Once we got there and the clock stopped, no one could take it away from us. We had done something that we had dreamed of doing. Forty years later, a basement full of items from around the world keeps the memories alive, along with a newscast. I think we'll probably party out. He's appearing on again 40 years later. I'm happy with what these 40 years dealt out for me. Camille Karamali, Global News. Newscast looks so cool back then. <laughs> right? What would happen if you used cruise control? Would you be disqualified? I, you know what? Autopilot. Yeah, he was desperate for it at some point along that way, I'm sure. All right, lights of hope down there. Christy, last word to you. Sure, so this is the star I was mentioning earlier. You can uh, purchase this, $49, and the money goes to the frontline workers here at St. Paul's Hospital. Sure is nice to see the lights lit up. That's the oh, lights yeah. of hope kicking off the season downtown here. Thanks, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.